You're listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a resource to equip the church to make more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the More and Better Disciples podcast. I'm your host, Keith Caps, here with Phil Kramer, lead pastor of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. How's it going, Phil? Man, it's going great, Keith, and I'm sure you can guess why. Is it because you're wearing your Duke shirt? Well, that's kind of a byproduct, but yes, that's all part of it. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us why it's going great? I don't know why you didn't come over for a watch party last night, you being the uh, big Duke fan that you are. Hey, um, this is a family podcast. Closet Duke fan. So we need to watch our language, okay? <laughs> uh, everybody who knows me uh, knows that there's only one real team in North Carolina, and that is the namesake, the okay. University of North Carolina. All right. No, we, we had a good time watching the football game last night, and and I was telling Byron Lee, our uh, our producer and executive director, and really does everything for this podcast, was telling him a few minutes ago why. Because when I was a student at Duke doing a one-year graduate program, this was back in 2000, and uh, Clemson came to town. That was the only football game we went to that year, and uh, it was an absolute bloodbath. I mean, Clemson was beating Duke 42 to nothing at halftime. I, we left after halftime. It was awful. So... To see Clemson come into Durham and, and lose that game last night in such a convincing way, it just brought a little joy to my heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I watched just a brief uh, moment of it in a scene that Duke was uh, well in hand uh, with that victory and uh, shed a little tear and, and turned it off. So I always root for anybody who's playing Duke. Sorry about that. I got you. Uh, let me know if I need to start packing my bags. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> Hey, no, it was a, a great weekend. Of course, college football uh, kicked back off, and uh, just an uh, exciting time. I love the fall. I love the cooler weather. Um, just so many uh, great things going on, and uh, great, great weekend. And even here at Crossgate, especially as we continued our series in Word Wars, talking about words in the home, man, that was uh, such a convicting message uh, and uh, convicted me and, and very helpful um, and so uh, I'm thankful for that and thankful for what the Lord's doing. And I'll tell you, even after listening to that message, um, I've, I've been more aware of some of the words. Um, and even last night, you know, putting our boys down uh, for bed uh, was, was just had a time of being more intentional with the words that I spoke to them. Um, so thank you so much for that. It's been great. I appreciate that, Keith. You know, uh, we, we probably have, and I heard a few more people remark this uh, make this remark on Sunday morning. They said, you know, we've probably received more positive feedback off of this sermon series than anyone we've ever done since I've been here. I think it's just because it's, it's meeting people right where they're at. And, uh, and I will tell you, everything I'm speaking, I'm speaking out of conviction that I've received. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very thankful for what the Lord is doing here at Crossgate, where we are making more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. And uh, we talked last week about that purpose statement and where it comes from, and we even talked a little bit about uh, what is a disciple. And so today, we're going to jump into that specific topic, defining a disciple. So uh, for those who maybe didn't listen last week, or this is a new concept for them, Phil, could you give us just a reminder of what a disciple is? Yes, we have a very specific definition at Crossgate uh, for what a disciple is, and that is a disciple is a growing follower of Jesus who lives and loves like Jesus and leads others to follow him. Yeah, that's great. I love that so much. Um, but where where did you get that? Where did that come from? Did you just make that up one day in your sleep? Or? 
Well, I wasn't sleeping when I made it up, but yeah, I pretty much, uh, I was a part of a, a discipleship cohort the year before I came here to Crossgate, and it was a year-long process. We met once a month, uh, but one of the requirements of this cohort, it was with a, a, an organization called the Bonhoeffer Project, uh, named after Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And uh, one of the requirements we had was to develop what, what they called a viral definition of a disciple, and viral simply meaning not that you caught a virus, but it, that it could be... Uh, something that could potentially go viral in your church, meaning that everyone would, would know it and would be able to repeat it. And so they gave us some basic criteria. Clearly, it needed to be grounded in the Bible, and, and we needed to back up what we're saying uh, with the Scripture. <clears throat> but uh, specifically, it would need to be less than a certain number of words. Uh, and and it would, it, In other words, it, it would have to be memorable, repeatable, uh, you know, all of those things. And so I just kind of started putting this thing together and uh, came up with uh, the definition that we have. Uh, it certainly is grounded in the scripture, uh, Mark chapter 1, verses 15 and 17. That's where Jesus comes out preaching and he says, repent, believe in the gospel, and follow me. Uh, so clearly a disciple is a follower, not just a believer. I think that's a huge distinction uh, because honestly there's a lot, in, in, and I think most of us uh, who grew up going to, say, Bible teaching evangelical church 20 or 30, 40 years ago probably received... Uh, a, a gospel presentation that 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 drove us toward um, you know repenting and believing, but didn't necessarily talk much about following. You know we're we're, we're supposed to be followers of Jesus, and so that's really the the main the main gist of it. You're a growing follower of Jesus. Of course, you should be coming becoming more and more like Jesus. You know, living like Jesus, loving like Jesus, that type of thing. Yeah, that is awesome, and I love that definition because, like you said, it, it's easy to remember, it's easy to say, it kind of rolls off the tongue, but it's also complex. It, there, there's many different facets, and so uh, we're going to break down that definition and kind of talk about uh, what exactly that means, and you kind of touched on um, the first part, a growing follower of Jesus. Um, what exactly does that look like um, in our everyday lives, Phil, to be a growing follower of Jesus? Well, that's a great question, and of course, I would, I would answer that question with another question. What does the Bible say? Because there's a lot in the Scripture, certainly the New Testament, that talks about uh, that, that Christians should be growing. We, we should be growing. I mean, anyone who's not growing or who's stagnant or who's plateaued in their faith, and I mean over a long period of time, uh, they probably need to check where they're at, you know, have they truly been saved? Because it's just a default that we should be growing. For example, 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 5, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly, brother, brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is this emphasis on, on increasing and growing and supplementing the, the basics of what you have in, in your faith with, with, with deeper levels and higher levels of godliness. So interesting, when you talk about growing, a couple of other scriptures come to mind. 1 Thessalonians 3. Uh, verses 11 through 13, Paul the Apostle talking to the Thessalonians says this, Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you. Okay, so that's interesting because that's the same language in the original that you find in Second Peter 
this, this uh, uh, language in verse 8 of 2 Peter chapter 1 about increasing. But then Paul follows up in 2 Thessalonians by saying this, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Again, same language. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. And of course, we know that Paul bragged on the Thessalonians because in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, he held them up as kind of the paragon of the faith because not only did they give uh, their money to the Lord, but first and foremost, they gave themselves to the Lord. You know, when you read First and Second Thessalonians, you... I think Paul the Apostle had a greater love. I mean, just he, he, he couldn't hold back in the amount of love and the admiration and, and respect he had for those people in particular. And I think one of the reasons is because they were setting the pace as growing followers of Jesus. Yeah, that's really good. And I love just the language that the New Testament uses, especially when you look at the Gospels and Jesus' call to the disciples uh, to follow me, right? And he told them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of, of mm. men. And one of the the uh, verses that you quoted there, it talks about making, and that almost implies to me a process, right? As we follow, He is making us into, um, you know, the the people that He intends for us to be. And I, there's a process that is involved with that. And so I, I love love that definition. And honestly, that's kind of my story too. You know, you mentioned earlier the difference between just intellectual belief um, and, and following Jesus. You know, I, I made a profession of faith when I was a child um, and, you know, I was told the stories of Jesus and heaven and hell. And, and as a child, I believed that it was true. But honestly, I prayed the prayer because I was told that's what I should do if I didn't want to go to hell and I wanted to go to heaven. Um, but as I grew, I was not uh, following Jesus at all. Um, I was just kind of doing my own thing, and it was not until later in life as, as a teenager I realized that God showed me that, um, and that's when I surrendered my life to to Him as Lord and not just Savior. So, yeah, big difference there, growing follower of Jesus. So if a disciple is someone who lives and loves like Jesus— why do Christians not look more like Jesus? Because it that's what we're saying, right, is that a growing follower is going to be more and more like Christ as we follow him. Is that right? That's right. Well, you know, the, the, that's a complex question and a complex answer in a sense, because, yes, certainly there are a lot of people in the world who say, well, I wish all these Christians actually looked a lot more like Jesus. You know, all these people running around saying they're Christians, but they're just not, we're not seeing it. Well, the Bible says that there are three categories of people. Every single person on the face of this, this earth falls into one of three categories. And we see those, again, what does the Bible say? This is not Phil Kramer just pulling this out of thin air. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he who is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Then the second category comes in, verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Okay, so you've got the natural person, the spiritual person, and then verse 1 of chapter 3, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual, uh, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. 
I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, uh, for you are still of the flesh. Okay, so now you have the people of the flesh. Okay, so let me just break that down in super simple terms. The natural person is the lost person. They've never trusted Christ. They've never been regenerated. I don't care if they prayed a prayer when they were a kid. I don't care if they got baptized when they were a kid or whatever, right? If, if they've never truly been regenerated and, and producing what the Bible calls fruit in keeping with repentance, they're lost. Um, or it just could be a person who's out and out against Jesus, the most rabid atheist in the world. They all fall into that first category. Lost person. Second category, the spiritual person. Uh, that's talking about the saved person, the person who's saved and who's yielding themselves over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so that's kind of what we would call the spiritual person or the spirit-filled man or woman. The third category, uh, Paul uses the language of the people of the flesh. Uh, some translations would say the carnal man or the carnal woman. Okay, so my best understanding of this, along with tons of other solid Bible-believing people, is that these people, yes, they, they are saved, but they are, they are not filled with the Holy Spirit. They're walking according to the flesh. Um, and so that third category of people who, yes, they have trusted Christ, but they've never really grown, right? Like we talked about in, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and, and 1 Thessalonians, they've never really been a growing follower of Jesus. They're just stagnant. Now, maybe, maybe they've never been discipled or whatever, but the fact is there are some people who truly are Christians, but they're just, they're just barely squeaking by. Now, I think we, we, would, we would not be honest if we were not willing to a, at least ask the question about any given individual who says, oh, yes, I'm a Christian, but you look at their life and it's a train wreck. M morally, spiritually, there, there's no growing. There's, I mean, there's no fruit whatsoever. We need to at least be honest to ask the question, is that person actually saved? Right? And, and sometimes it's hard, it's, it's hard to... to uh, to challenge people at that level, but I will tell you, there have been there have been a, a few times over the years when Shara and I have looked at one of our children, and we just have not seen any kind of fruit, any kind of love for the Lord, nothing. And there, I can think of one or two times when we have sat a child down when they were maybe 10, 11, 12, 13 years old and said, baby, I got to know, are you saved? Because I am not seeing it, right? And so it may very well be that some of these people, in fact, never were saved in the first place. Yeah, and that's really an important distinction, um, and I, I, I agree with you, and obviously the Bible is clear about it, um, and I think it's important to tell people the truth, obviously, in love, um, but ultimately, you know, th that's between them and God, right, and, and them knowing, and so, um, yeah, like I said, that's part of my story, um, and, uh, you know, I think about Jesus in Matthew 7 saying that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, um, you know, will um, enter into the kingdom. You know, and on that day, there will be people that said, we did all these things in your name, and he's going to say, I never knew you. Um, right. And that, you know, wow, what a scary um, thing to think of. Well, um, and, and I would just say that that's one of the passages, I would say one of the two or three passages 33 years ago that God used to get my attention in a big way because I was a person who would have said, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. Of course I'm a Christian. I've yeah. been going to church all my life. Right, but in fact, I was not saved at all. Yeah, and I, I've wow met so many people um, who are in that boat. Um, so very important distinction there. Um, disciple is a growing follower of Jesus who lives and loves like Jesus. 
Um, but we didn't stop there, right? We, I feel like a lot of people, you know, you could have just stopped there and that would have been a lot, um, but we didn't. Um, we added leads others to follow him. Why was that important to add that to the definition? Well, that's an excellent question, and I think uh, I could I could just point to uh, Robbie Gallaty, a guy that you and I both admire and respect, who oftentimes says that Jesus's final words must become our first work, right? Whether it's the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, or Acts 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, uh, so there's there's certainly an outward focus. Uh, you if if all you're doing is you're just growing and you're becoming more like Jesus, that's wonderful. But you're certainly not fulfilling the mandate that Jesus gave to all of his followers, right? But 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 at the same time, there, there's that outward focus. There's that concern for people who do not know Jesus. I, I, some of the some of the most sincere witnessing and soul winning I ever did in my entire life was shortly after I was saved. It wasn't because I knew this presentation of the gospel, which is important to have some type of training, right? But I, I didn't even have that. All I knew was that I wanted one of my friends to, to experience what I had recently experienced, right? I just, I wanted him to know the Jesus that I had come to know. And I remember going over to his house. I might've known one scripture, if that, and I stumbled around and tried to share as best I could. So I, I probably wasn't as uh, polished or concise necessarily, but I'll tell you, I don't know that I've ever been more sincere. And so that's, that's part of it. We have this, this desire to lead other people to follow Jesus because of what we've found in Jesus. You know, it's, it's just like the, the early disciples saying, come and see. Just come, check it out, man. Just come and see. Yeah, and just thinking about that, they're connected, right? Because the more that we're growing in following Christ, the more that we're becoming like Him, the more we fall in love with Him. And we want to tell people about him, right? Naturally, mm-hmm. um, and just like uh, you know, you were so excited to uh, to talk about the big Duke win, or I'm excited to talk about the Tar Heels or, or Arkansas, whatever it mm-hmm. is. We talk about the things that we love, um, and the more we fall in love with Jesus in that relationship, the, the more we should want to tell others about him. Um, but it's often a struggle, right? Even in the church, um, we talk about a church being outward focused versus inward focused. Why do you think that's often a struggle for us? Well, I think a lot of Christians struggle to lead others to follow Him. I guess in, in a sense, there's kind of the spiritual answer and there's the practical answer. The spiritual answer is that they're simply not filled with the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, you, 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 can't, you can't truly effectively share and, and lead others to Jesus unless it's out of an overflow of what's going on in your own heart, right? I mean, I've certainly seen some people try to do it just as a mechanical process or maybe out of just nothing more than duty, what have you, and 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 there, God will use that in some way, but to truly share with other people and, and to be ready to take every opportunity to make every opportunity, it's got to be an overflow out, out of a heart that's filled uh, with the Holy Spirit. Contrary wise, you know the Bible says, uh, you know, that there's this battle going on inside of us between the spirit and the flesh, and if 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 we're if we're yielding ourselves more to the flesh, well, that the last thing the flesh wants us to do is to share Jesus. And to lead others to follow him, and so oftentimes it's just our default is to walk in in, the, in accordance with the flesh if we're not filled with the spirit. So there is the spiritual answer uh, for sure, but I think even in terms of some of the practical uh, aspects of this, uh, you know, a lot of people simply haven't been discipled. 
You know, and I don't mean they, they haven't been to a training class, right? Because it's, it, it's one thing to give people the information, but it's another thing to walk with them life on life into this process. So, for example, uh, probably the greatest uh, soul-winning uh, you know, evangelistic pastor of the 20th century was a Presbyterian by the name of James Kennedy, D. D. James Kennedy. And he authored this, uh, this uh, evangelism, personal evangelism curriculum called Evangelism Explosion. And uh, that, that was widely popular in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, uh, and still, in many ways, one of the best uh, presentations of the gospel out there. Well, when he started out in the ministry, he was pastoring a little Presbyterian church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, that might have had 15 or 20 people at it. And he had a heart for evangelism. And he would get up, and he, he, he shared a six-weeks class, six-weeks-long class with his people, and, and shared with them all the information on how to witness to other people. And everybody loved it. They soaked up the information. But when the class was over, nobody actually went out and shared their faith. So then he said, oh, well, maybe I'll do a 12-week class. Okay, so then next semester he did a 12-week class, 12 weeks of wonderful information. Everybody loved it. They showed up every week. But when it was over, no one actually went out and shared their faith. And that's when God really showed James Kennedy that, you know, it's not just giving the information, but it's actually discipling people in the process and creating that, that what he would call the on-the-job training opportunity where you have, you pair up someone who, who is more confident and more experienced at sharing their faith with someone who's, who's newer at it or perhaps has never shared their faith. And then they go out and they make a visit or they have a contact or what have you. And, uh, and so not only is that one individual witnessing and, and trying to lead the other person to Christ, but at the same time, they're discipling that other person. And, and we don't really have that in, in the vast majority of churches right now. You know, of course, most churches aren't even training their people in this, let alone building in that one-on-one, that -on -one, life-on-life discipling. So again, there's a spiritual aspect, there's a practical aspect too. Yeah, and I love the picture there because the picture really is of someone following someone else who is following Jesus. Uh, it's almost like it was designed that way. That's right. So <laughs> that's exactly what it is. Exactly. Life on life discipleship. That's just, that's why Jesus was so uh, you know uh, so impactful on these on these eleven guys ultimately who who came out of those three years with him was uh, because it was life on life. Yeah, absolutely. And that is definitely a priority here at Crossgate. Well, we're uh, out of time for today, Phil, but uh, what is one thing someone can do if they're listening to this and they're saying, hey, I want to be a better growing follower of Jesus who lives and loves like Jesus and leads others to follow him? What is one next step that they could take? I say join a D group, join a discipleship group. And I know, Pastor Keith, you're going to have a chance to talk all about that on Sunday September 24th in the morning services, so we're looking forward to that. But yes, I think that one of the biggest, most powerful steps that someone could take at Crossgate Church is to get connected with a discipleship group because that will begin to establish those rhythms of the Christian life, Bible reading, scripture memory, prayer, those types of things, uh, in, in a context of, of accountability. Yeah, absolutely. Big, big fan of D groups. And if anybody is interested in that, they could stop by Next Steps on Sunday or they can simply email me at keith at crossgate.org. So awesome. Thank, thank you so much for your time today, Phil, and looking forward to next week. Thanks, Keith. God bless. Thank you for listening to the More and Better Disciples podcast, a ministry of Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. To learn more, join us on our website, crossgate.org.